All right, guys, what is up? We're live for the 80th installment of the Plain and Wood podcast series. Uh, joined today with my friend Gonzalo Lira. How you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on, Rich. It's it's great to be back. And uh, yeah, hey, chat. I hope you will enjoy the show. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll be on for an hour or two anyway, I think. Um, I know it's evening over there, and I got a few hours to uh, chop it up today. Where I'm at, I'm a little uh, under the weather. Um, I don't know. I came down with a cold or I thought it was altitude sickness at first when I was in um, Colorado. So I feel a little bit shit. My voice is a little messed up. So enjoy the radio voice. I'll let, I'll let Gonzalo do most of the talking today, probably. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so welcome back. The artist formerly known, formerly known as Coach Red Pill, now Gonzalo Lira. Um, what's been happening, man? You, you're in... Ukraine these days seems like you're covering yeah. a lot of what's happening between Ukraine and Russia. It's you know I put the um, I posed the question to my to my audience. I said you know is there anything you want me to ask Gonzalo? And I got mixed reactions. I of course got the guys that are like you know awesome you know can't wait to watch it. And there's always the you're bringing a communist on your platform. Why are you amplifying his message? Blah blah. Well, anyway, I, 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 I'm hard right. How am I a communist? That's just hilarious. That's just everybody's evil. got fans and haters. I mean, if you yeah. don't, you don't, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you take any of that stuff personally, you're a fool because there are always going to be people who really like your content, and, and that's flattering. That's delightful. I mean, you're you're making their content your content for them. But at the same time, on the flip side, you're always going to have some people who really hate your guts and totally hate watch you. And they're the ones who comment the most, of course. The people who are indifferent to you don't watch you. And so, yeah, yeah you, you get that kind of uh, mixed bag. But it's Nobody it's watches you harder than your haters, right? Yeah, exactly. Well put. Yeah, exactly. So um, what the hell are you doing in Ukraine still? It's a war zone. It's cold as shit. You know, like, what's going I on in that here. coconut of yours? Like, what are you thinking? Well, I live here. I've been living here in Ukraine, uh, in Kharkov, which is in East Ukraine. I've been living here off and on since 2016. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I had some business that I was doing in London, and uh, that's when I started doing uh, Coach Red Pill Channel back in 2017. Yeah. And um, it was really a hobby because I had a lot of free time on my hands while I was in London doing my, uh, my business affairs. And uh, the channel took off, and so I just continued it. And um, then in 2019, I had another business deal that was going down. And so I, I was sort of like splitting my time between Kharkov and Amsterdam. When I was in London, it was sort of like, you know, one week in Kharkov and one week in, in London, and then the same thing in Amsterdam. And uh, COVID, uh, the COVID lockdown caught me there in um, March of 2020. And I was, was stuck in Amsterdam, really, for most of 2020. And then I rode my motorcycle back from um, from Amsterdam to Kharkov um, in what December of 2020, mm -hmm. and I've been living here ever since, and very happily so, until this this little war happened, you know. And uh, exactly a year ago today, a year ago right now, as I'm speaking to you, I had flown out to Kiev on some business and some just bureaucratic stuff I had to take care of. I went to mm -hmm. Kiev uh, on the 23rd of February, 2022. And at this time, it's 6 p.m. here as I'm speaking to you, I was having drinks with some business acquaintances um, in at my hotel, the, the Premier Palace in Kiev, just off Krishatik Avenue. And uh, I, I recall this all very vividly because 
you know, uh, that evening, rather than go out to dinner or anything, I just decided to, you know, dash over down the street to the McDonald's there and, and get some Mickey D's and just chill out in front of cable. And I fell asleep until like 530 in the morning when my assistant here in Kharkov gave me a call and said, the Russians are invading. <laughs> and so for the first week of the invasion, I was in Kiev and um, I wound down my, uh, my Coach Red Pill channel in uh, late 2021 because I was just getting tired of it, you know, and mm -hmm. I was just winding down the whole thing. And, um, you know, but I still had the channel with, you know, a quarter of a million, 300,000 subs or whatever it was. And I started doing these impromptu videos from Kershatik Avenue, which is like the main drag or, or not the main drag, but the, the principal avenue of, of Kiev, sort of like the Wilshire Boulevard of, of Kiev or, or, you know, the, the Madison Avenue of Kiev. And uh, I started doing these impromptu videos talking about the situation on the ground in the middle of Kiev. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm this geopolitical commentator. And of course, since this conflict is ongoing, I've continued making videos because, you know, it, it directly affects my life, you know. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I was I was in Kiev from the 24th until my birthday, the night before my birthday. Uh, when I took the train back to Kharkov and uh, I, I was here on the 1st of March and I've been here since then and uh, I, I arranged for the evacuation of my family and they're out of the country and for various reasons I decided to stay because I didn't think that this war would last this long. Mm -hmm. um, I mean if somebody had told me back in March of last year that it would, you, we'd be here a year later talking about this I would have been shocked and what's emerged um, What's very interesting is that the Kiev regime and the Russians had actually reached a ceasefire agreement in early April of last year. And it was the West, the Washington, you know, deep state crowd, the State Department crowd that uh, put the kibosh on that. They told Zelensky in no uncertain terms that he should not sign any kind of ceasefire or, or any kind of agreement with the Russians. And it's because of Washington that this war has continued for a year with literally hundreds of thousands of deaths uh, on the side of the Zelensky regime. It's been a what's the um, what are the um, what's the uh, death count right now on both sides? Do you have any idea? Yeah, the casualty figures. Uh, these are the last reputable figures that are the most conservative and the most like for sure. OK. Uh, they come from two sources. Um, the, the, the lowest casualty figures for the Russia, for the, uh, the Zelensky regime, rather, for the Ukraine side, they have uh, killed in action 157,000. Uh, wounded in action, likely about 150% of that number. So you're, you're talking roughly about 240,000 men who have been uh, wounded, incapacitated. Okay, so between those two figures, you're talking in total four, 400,000 men are out of commission. Mm -hmm between that 157 killed and that 240 that are incapacitated. Um, on the Russian side, uh, these are Western figures, by the way, or, or figures critical of the Russians. Uh, the BBC puts the number of confirmed dead, um, Russian uh, LPR forces, DPR forces, Wagner and Chechens. They put them at minimum 12,000 killed and perhaps maximum 20,000. The Israelis, the Mossad, puts it at 18,850 as of January 22nd or something like that. And, so the uh, Russians are destroying the Ukrainians. 
Yeah, it's uh, lopsided across the board in terms of equipment lost, in terms it's of... It's a slaughter. Uh, yeah, it's, it's lopsided as all get out. Yeah. Because, I mean, the news here, if you consume public news media, would, would purport that um, the Russians are really getting a lot of resistance. Uh, go Zelensky. Um, you know, they're probably going to win, blah, blah, blah. But you're saying on the ground there, the, it's it's really just a slaughter. Yeah, the, the figure, it, it's... Uh, Roughly in terms of men, materiel across every weapons class, it's it's a lopsided figure of between eight to one against the Zelensky regime and uh, as low as four to one insofar as helicopters specifically. Insofar as artillery pieces, I think it's something like 20 to one. <clears throat> and so, I mean, no, it, it's it's just incredibly lopsided. Because What's the population of Ukraine? Uh, before the war, before. Uh, the official number was 45 million. Okay. Um, but because of the people who have left, roughly 15 million people have left, a third mm -hmm. of the population. Uh, they've left something like 4 million have gone to Russia and 11 million have gone to the West. And so you discount that, you discount to the uh, 9 million people who are now in the territories that Russia has annexed. That's about, yeah, like I said, 9 million. And so right now, the population of Ukraine, the credible estimates from multiple sources is a range between 19 million and 22 million. Yeah. So they've, they've cut the population in half. And, uh, and this mm -hmm. isn't over yet. You know, Would you call this a proxy it. war? And what do you think of it? Oh, yeah. It's, of course, it's a proxy war between uh, NATO and Russia. You know, uh, NATO, the State Department, specifically um, Victoria Newland who is the Undersecretary of State for uh, Political Affairs, Anthony Blinken, who is supposed to be the Secretary of State, but who's really, uh, Victoria Newland is the number one. And uh, Joe Biden himself and the National Security Advisor, uh, what's his name, Jim <coughs> Sullivan, what they want is regime change in Russia. And they're using Ukraine and the sanctions and throwing away the European economy to create that regime change in Russia. And they failed. They failed miserably. Mm -hmm. I mean, because in, right now, Putin in Russia, and this is according to polls by anti-Putin uh, sectors, um, put his approval rating at somewhere between 70 and 80 percent. Okay. So, so, I mean, you know, he, he's, nothing's going on. And also what's, what's happened is that, see, back in 2014-15, when Russia annexed Crimea, the Crimean Peninsula, uh, the United States put impose a whole bunch of sanctions, which really hurt the Russian economy back then. And what's happened is that since then, the Russians have prepared for sanctions war, and they prepared very diligently. And in fact, they overprepared because what happened was that the sanctions that came in 2022, which were a lot more severe because they disconnected Russia from SWIFT, they um, absconded really with the the Russian central bank's assets in the West and, and other measures that they took. But what happened was that those sanctions had less of an effect on the Russian economy than the sanctions back in 2015. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, in uh, March, April, there was like, you know, the ruble shot up, you know, the Moscow stock market crashed, but then it kind of like recovered because everybody started realizing, hey, you know, this isn't hurting that bad. And the Russians also discovered that they had all these customers in India and China for their uh, energy resources and, and their exports. And so losing the European economy, the Western economy, 
sanctions, in fact, didn't really hurt the Russian economy. And, and more, more importantly, it opened up new opportunities and new markets in India and China. And so now they are selling more than before the war. They are doing better economically now than before the war. Okay. Mm. And even the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, which is a Western uh, organization, even they admit the fact that the Russian economy is doing gangbusters and their inflation is projected to be for 2023, something like maybe four, 5%, something like that. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and, and overall, they're just, this didn't hurt the Russian economy at all. It just crippled the, the German economy and the European economy overall. And on top of that, you have, of course, that the United States carried out this terrorist attack on the Nord Stream pipeline, <coughs> which condemned. Has that uh, been hmm? has that been Go confirmed ahead. by a good source? Oh, yeah. yeah, by yeah. Seymour Hirsch. Seymour Hirsh is the, the best investigative uh, journalist you can find. Seymour Hirsh mm -hmm. has been around for five decades. He broke the My Lai massacre in 1968. He also uh, broke the story of the Abu Ghraib. Um, uh, um, torture of prisoners by the Americans in Iraq and uh, the, the clandestine bombing of Cambodia, a bunch of stories. I mean, he, he's, you know, as, as gold standard as you can get insofar as investigative journalism. And a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago now, he released a, a, a very detailed piece as to who, what, where, why, insofar as Nord Stream. And the decision was made in the fall of 2021 by Joe Biden himself in coordination with Victoria Newland and uh, Jake Sullivan to bomb the Nord Stream pipeline. Jake Sullivan was the point man for that operation and um, in, in Seymour Hersh's piece, which has gotten zero play in the mainstream media. I mean, nothing. They don't talk about it at all. This guy has won a Pulitzer Prize. He published in the New Yorker, the New York Times. I mean, this is as gold standard as you can get. And they have totally, you know, memory hold it, not even memory hold it, just ignored it like it has not happened, although the rest of the world has most certainly paid attention to it. And the Americans indisputably bombed the Nord Stream pipeline, and this crippled the German economy. And, uh, you know, the German economy is toast. I mean, they are fucked to, to, to high heaven. Right now, their inflation, food inflation, is at 20%. You know? and, and sorry, the Nord Stream pipeline was a gas supply line from Russia to, was it, was it through Denmark into Germany? No, it was under the Baltic Sea from from Russia to Germany under the Baltic Sea, okay. uh, and it passed by Denmark. And what has yeah. emerged from from uh, Seymour Hersh's reporting is that the Danes, the Swedes, and the Norwegians and the Poles knew that this was coming, and in fact, it was the Norwegians who pulled the trigger, who actually detonated the bombs that the Americans placed in June of 2022 during this big Baltic uh, Sea exercise that they did. Mm -hmm. That's when the American divers put in these uh, explosives. You gotta understand that these explosives, they're not like a little package of C4 and they blow it up. No, it's like a really complicated thing because they have to dig up you know, the pipeline because it's covered. And the kind of uh, explosives you're talking about are you know, a couple hundred pounds per, uh, per charge. And they had uh, two charges on each of the four pipelines. And so it was a major operation logistically to carry it out. And it was apparently the Norwegians who pulled the trigger on it. And, you know, that's just, you know, and Norway is part of NATO. The United States is part of NATO. Yeah. Germany is part of NATO. So Germany's own allies fucked them over. 
for money. That's the worst part because the Norwegians' um, uh, uh, motivation was that they would be able to sell their natural gas that they have quite a bit of, but more expensive than Russian gas. They'd be able to sell their gas to Germany. And the United States also had that financial motivation to sell American liquefied natural gas to the Germans, quite apart from the geopolitical aspects of it. So it's really yeah, unsustainable. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall much outrage or much coverage on this fact. No. I mean, people are still outraged over 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 pronouns or pronouns and you know, balloons. Yeah, balloons and wokeness or something is getting way more media coverage, and that's what people get upset about. Um, I'm sure there's probably more people that are still pissed off that others aren't, haven't haven't gone and jabbed themselves. You know to comply you know with the new thing uh, yeah it's a clown world you know it's a clown <laughs> we, it's a whole we shit call show. this a clown world show right yeah it's a complete shit show at this point now i mean like every day the kind of bullshit that's going on it, it's just off the charts it, it's just way off the charts you know i mean every outrage that you see every day you know and and i mean this kind of thing i mean like one of these incidents okay I mean, 10 20 years ago would have been front page news across the world but the American media is total propaganda. The Canadian media is total propaganda. You're, you're not going to hear what's going on if you follow the mainstream news sources. Yeah. I just want to um, talk about this uh, uh, State of the Union, I think, um, Putin made recently. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, it's a two-minute video. I shared it on my Twitter thread. You guys can go pull it up if you want. But, you know, here's some highlights. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's obviously in Russian. Let me but... read one line from it if you don't mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is Putin speaking. See what they do with their own peoples. The destruction of the family, cultural and national identity, perversion, mockery of children, and pedophilia are declared the norm. Now, to chat, I got to ask you, you know, is anything he says wrong? Is anything in that statement wrong? Okay, you don't have to be a believer because... You know, Putin uh, says that he's a, a, a believer, you know, in, in Christianity, and that's very respectable. But you don't have to be a believer to to uh, to read that and say, Fuck, he's absolutely right. You know, pedophilia mm -hmm. is now the norm in the West. You know, of course, they don't call it pedophilia anymore. They call it minor attracted person or minor attracted sure. people. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, whenever got, you uh... see that MAP in, in the bio of somebody on Twitter, know what you're dealing with you're dealing with pedo <clears throat> yeah we've got we've got um you know cross-dressing trannies or whatever they are you know reading books to kids in schools and it's all being celebrated and they're forced to clap over the whole thing it's 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 just a bizarrity what did you think of the whole uh i mean it's a two-minute video um i'm sure there's a lot more to it but that seemed to be like the highlight reel he was talking about we must protect our children the anglican church for example considers the idea of gender neutral god this was a recent announcement from england forgive us lord uh for they know for they don't know what they do look at holy scriptures the family is a union of a man and a woman so he touches on a lot of these sensitive points i mean like what do you think of this state of the union speech that putin you know recently made like what do you think was behind that well, no, it was just a, a, a state of the nation speech. It was an hour and 45 minutes long. I watched the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And most of it was devoted to domestic stuff and domestic programs that are going to be implemented. And by the way, a lot of these uh, domestic programs have gotten a very, very positive response in, in Russia. Like, for instance, one of the things that he's, gonna, he's doing is that uh, any family that has um, two children or more are not going to pay property tax. That's a big deal in, in Russia because when you, when you have property tax that you have to pay ongoing and also when you uh, 
uh, sell a property in less than five years since you purchased it, you also have to pay 13%, I believe. Mm -hmm. And those taxes are going to be rescinded for families that have two or more children. Clearly, you know, they're, they're aiming to improve their demographics by way of incentives, something that the Hungarians are doing, and very effectively, by the way, uh, of improving their demographics by way of the state giving incentives to families to have more children. Um, you know, longer, longer maternity leaves, you know, that kind of stuff. He also talked very specifically in great detail about uh, programs that they're going to do for uh, returning veterans, you know, uh, psychological uh, assistance, uh, work assistance, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the, the domestic uh, uh, programs package was the bulk of the speech. Insofar as the rest of the world is concerned, the, the big highlight wasn't really the cultural stuff that he talked about. And that was sort of like a jab to the West, but and, and sort of like a reminder as to what the West represents in the eyes of the rest of the world. Because, you know, all this, we kind of like laugh and, and, and just are kind of like horrified by the pedo stuff and the, and the trans stuff in the West. But in the rest of the world, they look at this as just decadence and degeneracy. They, they, they're horrified by it. They want no part of it. And they say, well, if, if to be part of the West, we have to get on board with this bullshit, fuck that. I mean, they're very serious about it. For, for the vast majority of people in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, Central America, all that stuff of, of trans and, and wokeness and all that shit is horrifying. And they want no piece of it, none of it. And, 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 but that's the thing that in the West they focus on the most. In geopolitical terms, the most important aspect, as far as I'm concerned, is that um, Putin declared that insofar as arms limitation talks are concerned, um, Russia is suspending those, those talks because, you know, there's no real point. Because he pointed out quite accurately that the United States expects to be able to inspect um, uh, Russian facilities, military facilities, to be in compliance with the uh, nuclear arms agreements, and yet they don't allow Russian inspectors to go to American military facilities. And so Putin said, very reasonably, as far as I'm concerned, he said, look, we are in a war in Ukraine where NATO and the Americans are supplying weapons to the Kiev regime, and uh, on the one hand, and on the other hand, they want to come and inspect our military facilities Oh, no, we're not going to play that game. And so, you know, it, it, it's ultimately the speech. Uh, um, there, there's another element, too. In the speech, there was this underlying sense, although never explicit, but it was underlying the entire speech whenever he talked about foreign issues, was that Russia and the West had suffered a divorce. And it was a divorce that would not find any kind of re reconciliation anytime soon. And um, that, that was sort of like underlying the entire speech. And so, you know, the Russians have broken with the West. They are not going to go to the negotiating table with the West. And people now in the United States, as they see the disaster unfolding in Ukraine, they're starting to say, oh, we should set up some sort of demilitarized zone, some, some sort of ceasefire agreement. Some people, some of the... Another East the and West Russians. Germany, is this what they're trying to pull? It's sort of like a North Korea, South Korea kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the Russians are they're not going to buy it at all because number one, they're winning. Okay. Uh, a ceasefire only works when you have basically two forces that are of equal strength and that they're sort of like at a standstill. Okay. They're dug in 
and, and heavily defended. And yet at the same time, they can't really attack the other side, but they've got a lot of troops and a lot of gear and stuff. But that's mm -hmm. not going on here. Here, the Russians are winning. And a lot of people say, well, the front lines aren't moving so much, right? So how can you say that one side or the other is moving? <coughs> well, see, that is a problem of Western misconception about what war is about. Because a war is not about capturing territory. A war, if you read your Krauswitz, a war is about destroying the opposing army. Once you've destroyed the opposing army, their land is yours. You can do whatever you want with it. And so what the Russians have been doing over the past, um, I would argue, the last um, six to eight months uh, is to just uh, a war of attrition where they are grinding down the Zelensky regime forces. And they are succeeding fairly spectacularly, as I mentioned with the previous figures. And so what you're going to see is eventually the Zelensky regime forces are going to simply run out of men. And the Russians are just going to roll over them. Do keep in mind that at this time, uh, the best credible estimates is that the Russians have assembled three army groupings in uh, southern Belarus, right on the northern border of uh, Ukraine, just to the west of Kiev, on uh, the eastern uh, border of Ukraine, here in the uh, Belgorod. Belgorod is a region in Russia right across from me. I'm 40 kilometers uh, from the border with Russia and another big grouping to the south and that grouping adds up altogether to about um, 650 to 750,000 men and uh, the Zelensky regime forces is scraping the bottom of the barrel insofar as manpower is concerned. I mean there there you know there, there's this video I saw today as a I was shocked that they were trying to conscript a 65-year-old retiree. And the man was saying, what are you coming to me for? I'm in no shape to pick up a rifle. I'm 65, you know, and, and he looked like a, like a worn out man of 65. He didn't look mm -hmm. like a young, you know, one of these guys who could like bench, bench press, you know, 300 pounds. No, he looked like, a, like what he was, an, a, a, an older retiree who was in no shape to go to combat. And they were trying to conscript him. You know, and so that shows you the level of desperation of the Kiev regime. And that's why they're begging for tanks. They're begging for aircraft now. You know, they're begging and begging. Who, who's, and begging. who, who is as, like, who is going to be driving these tanks that the Americans make? You know, they're talking about sending Abrams tanks and Leopard's tank. Like, you have to, like, you can't just hand, hand the keys to the guy and say, oh, this is like your Kia. Now just turn the key <laughs> no. and put it in D for go and just drive it. Like, this is a tank. The same thing with an F-16. They've been talking about, you know, like NATO fighters giving them to the Ukraine. Like, who is going to operate these vehicles? It's not going to be the Ukrainians, is it? Uh, you said it yourself. It's not going to be the Ukrainians. Because, look, uh, uh, a, a tank, and I've gotten this from various uh, people who have military experience. I personally do not have military experience, but in the course of just being on top of this shit, I've learned a great deal about how uh, a modern military works. To operate one of these tanks, you need minimum six months of training. And to be able to have uh, multiple tanks working in conjunction, uh, you need to train for at least a year. And quite apart from that, you need all kinds of communications uh, infrastructure and also aircraft for close air support, which the, the Zelensky regime simply does not have. So to answer your question, uh, the people most likely to operate this stuff are going to be NATO troops because there isn't enough time to train Ukrainian people, even if those people were available. Okay. Same with the aircraft. Okay. Uh, look, 
there's been a lot of talk about these tanks, but when we talk about the actual number of tanks, like they want to send leopard tanks, right? The, the Germans said that they're going to send 88 tanks, right? And, uh, and they said that they're going to send first 14 and then the rest of the 88. And I'm like, dude, do, do you know? I mean, somebody must have clued them in, but apparently not. Okay. So anyway, they're going to send 14 tanks and then the full 88. Uh, Portugal is going to throw some more tanks their way. That's what they're saying. But nobody's actually doing anything. And here's the point. If you add up all the leopard tanks that they're claiming that they're going to send, it amounts to a couple of hundred, maybe 300 tanks. At the start of this conflict, the Zelensky regime had over 2,000 tanks. They're gone. That's why they're begging for tanks now. Okay, so, so these tanks, if they, are ever, they ever show up in the front lines, they're going to be destroyed like the other tanks before them by the Russians. Okay, so it's, it's just stupid. It's, it's just a, And if a they're not, loop. you know that they've got NATO operatives behind the wheel of the planes mm -hmm. and, and tanks, right? Yeah. Um, and no, I mean, there the are NATO US... personnel here. There's NATO personnel here uh, that's been fighting on the front lines. They're, they're private military contractors, but they've been here the whole time. It's estimated that uh, the polls, there, there are various figures that I've heard, uh, reputable figures, that go between 16,000 Polish troops all the way to 25,000. Although the 25,000 number seems a little uh, fishy, more people are saying that it's in the realm of about 20,000 Polish troops. They're all private mm -hmm. military contractors, but they're all very capable. Uh, and they've already lost uh, at least 2,500 killed in action, Polish soldiers killed in action. So, you know, you already have NATO troops. You also have Romanian troops here and um, some uh, Portuguese troops, you know, a, a little bit of everything. You know, and uh, they're fighting already. And uh, but it's not in big numbers. And they're all as private military contractors so that the respective governments have deniability. But the Poles in particular, you know, they set up this specific grave site for their dead. And right now, the dead for sure from Poland is about twenty five hundred dead. OK, and so, you know, I mean, they're getting the shit kicked out of them. Look, I've said this repeatedly and I'll say it again. Uh, you know, the Italians, they're really great at food and the French are really, really good at fashion, right? The Russians, the Russians they're are really at war, good at war. At war. That's yeah. goddamn right. They know what they're doing. When they go to war, they know yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you study a military history, you do not want to fuck with the Russians. There's something else too. You know, a lot of people say that the Russians fucked up at the beginning, this and that and all the rest of it. Yeah, but you have to understand that these armies, they adapt and they learn, okay? Mm. Because of course... People's lives are on the line and they don't want to lose troops. The priority that the uh, Russians have had throughout this conflict is they want to minimize civilian casualties and minimize their own casualties. Okay. In terms of casualties of Ukraine civilians, the numbers are very low. If anybody says, oh, they're committing genocide in, in, in Ukraine, that's a lie. Uh, total um, killed, uh, civilians killed so far is about under 10,000, 9,800 and some as of late January, okay? And this is all collateral damage, you know, uh, people killed because stuff fell on them, you know, uh, from both sides, by the way, okay? And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the notion that this is genocidal, that's just a lie. That's just propagandistic bullshit, okay? The, the, the actual hard numbers are, like I said, under yeah. 10,000 civilians killed, which is a tragedy. But if you compare that to the number of 
combat troops that have died, <clears throat> if you add up the 157,000, let's say 20,000 Russians killed, okay, that's 175,000 uh, killed, uh, only 10,000 civilian killed, that's extremely low. That's like numbers like, for instance, in the US Civil War, which also had something similar, where you had huge numbers of troops killed, but very few civilians killed, okay? Uh, contrast that to the First World War, and especially the Second World War, where the uh, Allies terror bombed uh, German cities and wiped out perhaps millions of German civilians. You know, so and and that's quite apart from what happened in the Eastern Front and all the rest of it. You know, so look, the the war is is catastrophic for the nation and the people of Ukraine, but in terms of actual casualties of civilians, it's quite low. What do you what do you think of these? Um... <laughs> donors of military aid to ukraine this is this is just an basically an infographic chart that i came across the other day um i'm pretty sure the numbers from uh the us are more than 46 billion at this point but yeah. the population of the us versus canada is only 10 times greater but canada has donated 1.4 billion the us has donated 46 billion according to this chart and i believe it's a lot more What's what's behind this? Why is the U.S. so invested in this proxy war, from your opinion? Well, there there's multiple problems with those uh, numbers. Uh, the first problem is that you have to figure out how much money they're actually sending to Ukraine and how much money they are actually sending to the military industrial complex in the United States. OK, uh, a lot of the times what they're doing is that they're sending gear, but they're paying the money to the military industrial complex in the United States to Raytheon, General Dynamics and so forth. And so uh, those numbers, you really have to get into the granular detail to know where that money is exactly going to. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be able to give you an opinion about those numbers, just ball face like that. I mean, it, it's mm -hmm. really hinky insofar as how the numbers are playing out. What is known is that the Zelensky regime itself mm -hmm. needs cash that it's getting from the European Union and the United States just to pay its personnel, pay its soldiers, pay its bureaucracy to keep going. The Ukraine economy is just toast. I mean, it, it, the GDP uh, of, of Ukraine has collapsed, I would guesstimate, easily 60%. The official number is like 30%, but I think it's bullshit. I think it's a lot more. I mean, just the number of people who have left and they've gone to Europe or Russia. And by the way, you know, this is demographically a catastrophe for Ukraine because those uh, 15 million people who have left, they are not coming back because they, I, I know many of them, uh, many Ukrainians that I knew, my former assistant, they've gone to Denmark, Sweden, Great Britain, Switzerland, and they're not coming back because, you know, the war has gone on for over a year now, or coming up on a year, and they have settled into their lives in Europe. The same with the ones who have left for Russia. They've settled into their life. They've got apartments. They've got jobs. They've got the kids in their schools. They're not going to come back to Ukraine, especially a war-torn and devastated Ukraine. So the, the Ukraine nation of prior to this conflict is gone forever. It's never coming back. Okay. Now the only issue becomes how much of Ukraine the Russians are going to annex. In my estimation, it seems reasonable to think that they're going to take pretty much everything east of the Dnieper River. The Dnieper River sort of like slices Ukraine down the middle. And they're also going to take all of the south of Ukraine, including Odessa, which for the Russians is a very important city for historical reasons and is predominantly Russian, as a matter of fact. And so at the end of the day, you're going to have uh, 
so you're saying that they're going to stop at this water body here this big river that travels through yeah, the middle of the that's the Dnieper river and when mm. you when you see there uh uh, uh, Rog, uh right there in the middle they're going to take everything south all the way to moldova okay they're going to the, and, and including the city the port city of odessa which you see right below your mm. your uh, your pointer there yeah they're going to take that and everything there mm. to the south and to the east, that's going to be annexed by the Russians. That seems pretty much annexed. Is this still, is this still primarily Russian-speaking territory on the yes, all of it. east side? Where yeah. are you located and right now? I'm, I'm located in Kharkov, which is right there. It's the biggest city uh, right there in the, in the center, in the upper center of your screen. No, that's Donetsk. So it's all in Russian. There. Okay. So that one? That's yeah, it. Okay. That's where I'm living. Okay. So you're, and, so you're very close to the border. Yeah. Yeah, but there's have, no, no, yeah. Have they taken uh, this I, town yet? Like, is this a Russian occupied town now? No, no, this is uh, Ukrainian occupied. Um, okay. But we get, um, you know, missile strikes every once in a while. For, you know, they're hitting something. They're usually hitting specific military objectives. Actually, back in September, they, uh, the Russians hit a missile. A missile hit the building right next to where I live. I've got a great picture of it, but unfortunately, I can't show it. Uh, publicly, because people would be able to figure out where I am located because mm -hmm. of the skyline. But I got this great shot. I mean, it's really a great, just perfect shot. And um, no, the the um, the Russians are eventually going to take all of Eastern Ukraine. That, that's in the cards. And and the only thing, this big battle that's going on now. That? Well, and that's anybody's guess. But I'd be very surprised if the war is still continuing by the end of 2023. But you know, I, I was I didn't think the war would continue past May. Uh, so, you know, I, my crystal ball is kind of cloudy. But um, no, they're going to take the that half of Ukraine and they're going to annex it and it's going to become Russian territory and they're not going to fuck around. And what remains of Ukraine is going to be a rump state. And I would guess that the Russians are going to install some sort of puppet regime there and make it like just a a a a, um, a buffer zone with nato and poland and poland you know now we're hearing noises that um poland might be up next as the next proxy and and all of a sudden today this morning as a matter of fact the noises started coming out that maybe moldova if you could go back to the map, that map i can i can show you um that moldova might be the next thing see moldova if you zoom in a little bit to moldova a, a little bit closer uh yeah and and see you, you see that on the this western side, excuse me, yeah, that's just now. Um, on the western side, where it, 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 zoom in a little bit more, please. Yeah, see, see that Tiras Pole to the to the um, to the east, right? This sliver of land is occupied by the Russians, okay? Because that's a historically right now, Russian. Yeah, currently. And mm -hmm. it's been that way since the end of the Cold War, because that is a traditionally Russian area. All the people there are mm -hmm. ethnic Russians who speak Russian. And there's also a big military depot there. There are about 6,000 Russian troops there at this time. And as of this morning, all of a sudden, there's been these rumors that the uh, Kiev regime is planning on attacking it and, and starting like a second front, if you will. Now, I'm sure the Russians have prepared for this contingency. I mean, these guys, the Russians, the Russian army, I mean, they don't take a shit without a plan. I mean, they know exactly what they're doing. And so, you know, we're going to see if there's going to be a second front in Moldova. <coughs> Who knows about that? How this is going to end? Well, there's this big battle going on in Bakhmut, which is this 
uh, small town, before the war it was like 75,000 people. It's a small town that has become an end in itself in, in the sense that the, the Zelensky regime has lost so many men that they can't pull out. And so they keep on putting more men into it. And that city of Bakhmut is slowly being encircled. And at this time, it's estimated that there are between 10 and 20,000 uh, Kiev regime forces there. And they're about to be encircled. And if they're encircled, those men are going to either die, perish, or they're going to surrender. Either way, they're going to be out of the war. And so, you know, it, we're coming to a, a point of, of not just inflection, but sort of like, you know, the end kind of thing. Once Bakhmut mm -hmm. falls, which it will fall in, in, in the foreseeable future, I mean, the next few weeks, once it falls, that is going to be a tremendous blow to the Kiev regime. Whether the Kiev regime survives politically or descends into chaos, that's anybody's guess. But the Russians are just grinding away. They are grinding away and they are winning because this is a war of attrition. And like I said earlier, see, in the West, we have this notion that to win a war, you have to capture territory. People think of it like a football game, like an American football game, where you know you're, you're like um, you know first first down, you know ten yards, right? And you capture a few more yards, and you advance, and and that's war, right? No, you beat the opposing army, you destroy the opposing army, and that's what the Russians are doing. It's what Ulysses S. Grant did in the Civil War. That's why the North won. Because the, war, uh, the North was trying to capture territory until finally Grant came along and, and Lincoln put him in his position. And Grant just went looking for the Confederate Army and destroyed it. Do keep in mind that in the American Civil War, which was a war of attrition, uh, the last uh, few battles of the Civil War were actually won by the Confederacy. They won the battles. But see, they, their, their army was so destroyed in this war of attrition that they had to surrender, see? And that's basically the Russian strategy. I'm oversimplifying, of course, just to make the point clear, but if you start looking at the nitty gritty details, this is what they're doing. And they're doing it extremely effectively. And so the end is, it's, it's over, okay? The, the, the lives that are gonna be lost now are, are needless losses. I mean, it, 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 it's pointless. The, the, the Zelensky regime should surrender because they can't win. There's no way to win, okay? And even if the, if the Americans decided, okay, we're gonna put in American troops and we're gonna go to war with the Russians, it would take months to set up an American NATO army in Poland to invade, Russia, uh, invade Ukraine and fight the Russians. It would take months. So it, because the Russian army is simply too big and it's right there. And so it's, it's just, this is a needless loss of life. And this is why I tear my hair out, to tell you the truth, because it's just pointless at this point. But, you know, for political yeah, reasons in Washington, they, they want to, you know, show the Ruskies. And the crazy thing is, you know, they want to uh, continue this conflict because they have this mistaken notion that the longer this war continues, the more it, it uh, undermines Russian uh, military force. They got it completely asked backward because what happens is that the longer this war continues, number one, the morale in Russia improves because they become it becomes clear to them this is a war with NATO. And number two, they gain more experience. So they are better, more combat effective than anything that the West could throw at them. 
right now, I don't see United NATO States, getting involved in this. You know, at this point of the game, no, like, unless they you start never lobbying know. missiles those, into those NATO countries, crazy. The, the NATO people are crazy. They're crazy, crazy. How so? The Washington crowd, they're fucking out of their minds. They blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. This is an act of right. international terrorism, man. And they were like, la-di-da, you know? It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, the United States- Oh, look, balloons, pay attention to that over there instead. Oh, yeah, UFOs, the aliens are coming, you know? Instead of yeah. the Cy Hirsch piece, the-, the you know, the catastrophe of Bakhmut, because it is a catastrophe. I mean, the whole thing is just. Interesting. Um, anything else you want to cover on the whole conflict between Ukraine and Russia? I mean, it's a sad piece, you know, to be honest with you. It's it's, it's just, just a needless loss of life. It's it's, it's just dumb. Um, your um, uh, uh, kids and their mom are safe, though. You said you moved them out of the right. country? Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you have any they, concerns they spent, for your they, children? They, 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 spent a... the summer, they spent the summer in Croatia on the beach. It's it very yeah. annoying because I was stuck here. But, yeah. Why aren't you leaving? Like, why aren't you with them? And uh, Well, two reasons. Know. Originally, I wanted to see what would happen. Okay. Then mm -hmm. in April, I was arrested by the SBU. That's the State Security Service of Ukraine. Yeah, they picked you up. Yeah. It's Everybody like thought that uh, you were dead. You were gone. Yeah, a lot of irresponsible people, you know, assured everybody that I'd been tortured and murdered with no evidence whatsoever. Uh, you know, a lot of people were like, uh, I think I might have been one of those ass. speculators. I was, I was like, I don't know what's up with him, but he's, you know, he's cool. No, he's what happened was that I was arrested. You went silent because I had you on uh, Skype and we used to message and then you just went ghost, right? Like you yeah. would not respond. Yeah, I lost my accounts, my uh, Gmail, because they took my uh, cell phone. And they, and they took mm -hmm. my accounts, they took them over. Um, and so that's why I can't access the Coach Red Pill channel or my previous Gonzalo Lura channel. I have to start from scratch. And um, no, what happened was that I was very active on Telegram. I had about 80,000 followers on Telegram. And Telegram is very easy to translate into Ukraine. And so a lot of people in Ukraine were following what I was saying. And um, yeah, that, that was why I, I came onto their radar. But, you know, they, they came, they arrested me. There were like eight guys. <laughs> it was pretty cool. You know, eight guys, you know, armed to the gills, right? Uh, with like big rifles and the whole shebang, right? And they came to arrest me and they searched my entire apartment and they videotaped it. And they searched every nook and cranny looking for, I don't know what, you know, Russian propaganda or some shit like that. I have no idea. And I was interrogated a few times. And it wasn't like in the movies. It was a very civil conversation. I had a translator. And at the end of the day, they cut me loose because I was more trouble than I was worth because I'm not a Russian agent. You know, um, I didn't have any kind of mission to, uh, you know, any, any kind of, you know, any kind of like secret mission or shit like that. I'm just a middle-aged fart mm -hmm. who happened to live here and started reporting on it. Um, and uh, what happened was that the... Um, the SBU cut me loose because there was a lot of uh, online stuff. But what was actually much more important was that there were a lot of diplomatic efforts because I'm a resident of three different countries uh, or have been a resident of three different countries. <clears throat> so it started becoming a political issue over somebody who's just really inconsequential because I'm nobody. You know, I, I'm just here. I'm watching it and I'm talking about it. But I'm nobody and I don't really have any kind of real power or influence over any of the events. And so they realized it was, I was just much more trouble than I was worth. But 
until my case is adjudicated, um, I have to remain in Kharkov. I, I'm not under house arrest, but sort of like city arrest, if you will. And if I try to leave the country, um, what will happen is, of course, they'll run my name through the system and my name will pop up and they'll arrest me on the spot. They told me this, that I'll be arrested and held, uh, you know, in prison. And so I'm stuck here, you know, and, and as a practical matter, leaving Kharkov for another region of Ukraine is just uh, how will that change or improve my position, especially considering that most of the nation has uh, inter intermittent electricity and Internet because the Russians have been hitting the electrical substations because they're trying to interrupt the, uh, the supply of weapons because the, the train system in Ukraine is electrical. And so they're not trying to harm the civilians. They're trying to interrupt the trains, the train system. And so they've been hitting them. But here in Kharkov, they don't need to hit them because if you look at the map, uh, Kharkov is out of the way, if you will, of the transportation of weapons from Poland to the front lines. And so that's why I, you know, it, it, I've lost electricity a few times, but uh, it's been, you know, you can count them in a couple of hands. It's not that big of a deal. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, no, and so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like stuck here. And if I were to move to a different city in Ukraine, it wouldn't improve my situation, probably make it worse, especially it would be a city that I didn't know. And I don't know Russian or Ukrainian. And so that would play against me. And so it's better to just sit tight and watch this war unfold. Um, are you at all concerned about the future of your kids, given the current climate of the world right now? In, in what sense specifically? Uh, well, the further west you go, the more more of a nutter sort of you know scenario it is. Like you've seen the way you know things are going, so you know what I'm talking about. I mean, what yeah. about the influence that you know Western policies, politics? you know, culture, you know, could potentially have on them. Like, do you have conversations with them? Is that, oh. is that too early for them right now? No, they're, they're young, they're small, they're uh, nine and seven. No, I don't have any kind of conversation like that with them at all. Of course not, because, you know, sexuality is not an issue for children before, way before puberty, you know, and, mm -hmm. and once they hit puberty, the conversation is, you know, don't have sex, be smart, you know, understand that there are consequences to every action. And uh, yeah, and so far as the woke nonsense, no, they're far away from any of that shit. And I, I certainly make sure that uh, of that, you know, because I don't want my kids to have drag story hour or some, you know, uh, bullshit like that. No, 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 fuck that. Uh, that that shit is just decadent, degenerate. You know, like the quote. And their moms on the same page. Oh yeah. Oh, most definitely. Mm -hmm. no, um, I mean, I'm gonna grab a couple of these. Uh, super chats here and sure. you know before i lose him uh jerry so gonzalo your video warning about avoiding liberals at work and the ones per right. in personal life was massively invaluable i didn't see that video can you kind of summarize that oh sure i said that you know if, if you Aside come across any, any yeah any liberal just stay the fuck away and keep your fucking mouth shut because yeah. they're going to try to fuck you over you know if they find out because you see like i'm i'm a, a hardcore conservative i'm a hard right okay if I come across somebody, like say a doctor who's a liberal, you know, I'm perfectly fine. Is, is he a capable doctor? Yes. Oh, sure. I'll, 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 I'll do the rectal exam and see if my prostate is okay with the liberal doctor if he's good. Okay. But the flip side does not apply. You know, people who are liberal, if they find out that you're conservative, they have it out for you. They think that you're the enemy, that you're antichrist, that you're a fascist, this, that, the other. So just keep away from them. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's simple as that. You, know, you, have, you have to keep away from these people because they're dangerous, because they're hysterical and they're off their rocker. And I don't know if they're ever going to return to sanity. I don't think so. I think that this is just another indication of the collapse of the American empire. And, you know, in, in, the, in the waning days of every empire, you have all kinds of degeneracy, homosexuality, pedophilia, and hysteria. And you want to just keep your head down and your spirits up and your go bag ready if you have to split as soon as possible. Friend Eric here wants to know if you're going to be, uh, or any chance you're going to be making videos again about life career skills, um, you know, like the CRP sort of stuff. Well, perhaps after this conflict is over. But um, first of all, I don't have access to my gear with which I was doing my videos before. And on the other hand, you know, I just on, on the headspace level, I'm just not into that right now, you know, um, because this is just consuming all of my attention for obvious reasons. There's another one here. I'm just trying to find. Sure. Uh, it's just a ping there. It's that nothing. Uh, two legends in the same show. Always good to hear from Rich Cooper and Gonzalo Lear. Yeah, you know, I get criticized for people that I have on my show, but it's like, just shut up and watch the show. You know, just like, you're probably going to learn something. Even if you disagree, just watch. Trust me. Well, that's the thing that I, I find so disconcerting that, uh, that so many uh, people on the left they're they unwilling to live all the time. Yeah, they want echo chambers and whatever you say that goes against their beliefs, they automatically dismiss it. They don't sit and listen. I mean, I will listen to some crazy ass communist. No problem, because, you know, he might say just 90 percent bullshit and things that I know for a fact are incorrect. But he might say some 10 percent that might be very valuable or add some further understanding to the overall situation. So it's always good to listen to other people, especially people that you disagree with. And quite frankly, it's boring to be talking to people who agree with you on everything. It's much more interesting to be talking to people that you do disagree with. And you can have a civil disagreement. I mean, you know, you and I can talk about, I don't know, well, let me just make up an example. You can say that the Buffalo Bills are the Well, we best. disagreed on Bitcoin last time we talked, right? Right. Okay, yeah. So we can have a, a fruitful conversation based on a disagreement. But I'm not going to think less of you because of it. And I hope that you won't think less of me because of the disagreement. You know, we can exchange views. And see, there are two possibilities. You see, if if I hear something that I don't agree with, possibility number one is that you're wrong and I'm right, which is good for me. But the other possibility is you're right and I'm wrong. And so if I listen to you, and say, oh, you know, Rich is saying something that I discounted, I didn't agree with, but Rich is giving really good reasons for this. Hey, he's right, I'm wrong. I'm going to change my mind about this particular issue because Rich is, Rich's position is the reasonable position, is the more accurate position. Because ultimately what we wanna do is understand the world better. And so either way I win in the sense that if, if I disagree with you and I don't agree with your, your rationale and I have reasons, solid reasons to disagree, then it just shows me that my position is correct. And if you have a position that is, that is much more reasonable than my own, then I will change my position. And again, it will improve my appreciation of reality. So either way I win, but this notion of like, oh, I'm not going to listen to anybody from the opposing side. This is just stupid. It's self-destructive. Uh, oh. Have you 
Have you, by the way, changed your position on Bitcoin since we spoke last a few years ago? Because it seemed like you were vehemently opposed to it at that time. Are you still in the same boat? Yeah, I think it's pretty much bullshit. You know? Okay. I mean, it's it's clever um, and cool, but the, the collapse of the NFT market kind of like points the way to what I think is going to happen to all crypto. And people in 10 uh, years from now... Yeah, the NFT is it. just overpriced JPEGs. Like, there's a lot of grifters out there selling these fucking pictures for ridiculous amounts of uh, money. It's just... I'm not about that either, for sure. Um, Julian here said, uh, Poland should call NATO Article 5 for Ukraine killing two farmers. What is that, NATO Article 5? Do you know what he's talking about? Yeah, sure. Article 5 is the mutual defense pact uh, of NATO. See, if one is mm -hmm. attacked because of Article 5, all the other nations of NATO have to join in the defense of that nation that has been attacked. And so uh, what happened was... killed that, two farmers? Yeah, it was probably an accident. That one of their anti um, one one of their, uh, their missile defense system missiles, um, mm -hmm. you know, went off course and, and landed in in Poland and killed a couple of farmers, which is a tragedy, of course. But it was all in, in the overall scheme of the conflict, it was trivial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course, you know, Germany and France should do likewise against the U.S. for Nord Stream pipeline. Yes, attacks, well, you're never going to see should. that happen. Yeah, France doesn't really have a leg to stand on, legally speaking, about Nord Stream. But Germany, yeah, the Germany, the United States attacked the German economy, destroyed it, you know, or severely crippled it at any rate, in the best case. Yeah. Uh, Peter wants me to ask you about Andrew Tate. What do you think about that situation? I, I think that um, Andrew Tate, uh, most of what he said, I agree with fully. I mean, it, it's stuff that, you know, bread and butter for you and guys like you and me, right? Uh, I thought that... Um, I saw some video of his, some some short little clip video that said that he said he said that you know the the way they come at you is that first they cancel you, then they arrest you, and then they outright do away with you. Okay, mm -hmm. and, and he was absolutely right. And so once they canceled him across social media, I respectfully I, I don't have any beef with the guy at all, but I think that he should have prepared better and not been in a place like Romania. I think that frankly mm. he should have gone to the Far East, to one of the the you know Asian countries, where he would have been able to continue and really be secure that the Americans aren't going to reach out and grab him as they did, because as I understand the case at this point, he's being charged with human trafficking, <coughs> but there are no victims, and and the they haven't charged him with are, anything yet apparently. Okay. But the, the suspicion that he was trafficking uh, girls for sex or God knows what, well, mm -hmm. there are no credible witnesses. And a lot of the women who were associated with him say, no, 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 no. We could leave whenever we want to. We have our passports in hand. I mean, no problem. We were there of our own volition. And, you know, these women have the incentive now to say, oh, yes, Andrew Tate was an evil guy. So the fact that they're saying, no, 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 he didn't do anything, nor did his brother do anything. It leads me to conclude that it's all just bullshit. The fact that they haven't charged him with anything is more proof that it's bullshit. I personally don't think that he's going to be released anytime soon. I mean, I you know, like Julian Assange. Julian Assange committed no crime in the United States. He is not an American citizen. And yet he's going to be extradited to the United States and probably be thrown into some concrete shithole for the rest of his life, you know. The Americans do this. Once, once, the, once they're, you're in their sights, that's what the Americans do. And they obviously have a hard-on for Andrew Tate. Why? I mean, what did he do? He didn't even release like secrets like Julian Assange did. 
he just said a lot of things that most people would find perfectly reasonable. And, and the, the sliver that is controversial, it's just on social issues. He's just a fucking guy talking, okay? I mean, he's not like creating like a political movement or advocating violence or anything of the sort, right? He's just, frankly, he's a loud mouth like you and me, okay? What, what crime did he possibly commit? No, it's just they wanted to fuck him over. And I think that yeah, the it's only almost like there's the criticism Sorry, I, I would the, the criticism it's almost like level. there's like a level of 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 like loudmouth that you can aspire to, and then once you go go beyond that line in the sand, then you're flying too close to the sun. And yeah. I think that's what he did. You know, he just yeah. you know, and, and he also um, what was the term that was used a lot? Uh, Self uh, snitching. Um, he said a lot of things. I think in jest, personally, because I think he's got a great sense of humor. Um, yeah, he, seems but, like fine, he seems like a funny guy. I mean, he's, he's but I like think people took it like way out. out of context, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyway, and, um, and so look, I, I mean, there there are some people who are approved, like Jordan Peterson. Uh, Jordan hmm. Peterson, they allow him to exist because he toes the line on certain issues, and and I mean, he he, he talks about uh, male disenfranchisement and and the abuse that men are suffering. But at the same time, he toes the line on, for instance, on Israel. He was towing the line on the vax. He was towing the line. He is towing the line on the Ukraine conflict. Um, so that's why he's allowed to exist. Mm -hmm. But Andrew Tate uh, was true to what he thought. And he doesn't tow anybody's line. And so he got fucked over. Okay. And I agree with you. you can, there's a range where when you're very low, they can cancel you out very easily. When you're in that middle range, then I would argue that both you and I are at. Uh, they basically let us say whatever you want to. But if you get too high, too big, that's when they really go for you. And that's what happened to Andrew Tate. And, and in fact, you know, I think part of the reason that they went after Andrew Tate was to make, it, make him an example, a lesson for people like you and I to shut the fuck up or just tone it down. I think that that was a big part of the motivation. Do you think that Jordan Peterson offers uh, remedies to chaos in the world right now? No. He's What's very that? good at giving um, a diagnosis of what is happening, but he doesn't look at the root cause. Because I think that he fundamentally knows the root causes, but he doesn't dare speak them. Because, of course, it would offend people in power. It would identify people in power. That's the problem. You know. Yeah, he did a... Um... You know, he's, he's, he's all tied up with the Daily Wire crowd right now. And I, um, you know, I got now, noticed. By the way, there's, there's something else, too, that I have to mention mm -hmm. about Jordan Peterson. He seems emotionally unstable. I mean, he seems very emotionally unstable. He, he, he doesn't seem like a guy who can really handle shit, okay? Uh, I remember a year or two ago, he was doing some interview. He started, like, crying and shit. Like, what the fuck is He does it quite often. Yeah, I'm, you know, I mean, you know, like I'll cry if like a, a, a child or a dog dies, you know? Yeah, sure. But like over my fucking feelings, fuck off. Man. I, I'm sorry. It was just pussy to me. Yeah, one of the things that like grinds my gears with Jordan Peterson is, you know, he gets a lot of worship. And I think, you know, for the most part, he offers... He offers something positive, you know, like clean yeah. your room, stand up straight, wash your dick, like, you know, basic stuff, right? Yeah. clean your house, you know, have your own house in order. But then but then he goes down these paths like he did with the whole Daily Wire thing. And then he started doing these private broadcasts about uh, 
marriage. And so I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, I, I have a chapter in my book about why smart men should no longer marry in the West. And I wanted oh, yeah. to see what his take on it was. It was behind the paywall. I did a cast on my, on my um, Unplugged Alpha podcast channel. So if you guys want to watch, you can go find that. But basically the long and short of it was, it was don't be a pussy man up. You know, you have a biblical obligation to get married and have children. Um, don't worry about, you know, the risks. Just, just be a man and negotiate your way through your marriage sort of thing. And it's like, that is just shit advice. And I yeah. said so, and I broke it down, you know, in detail, you know, why. So I think he marches some too many guys in the slaughterhouse. And I think the other thing that bugs me about him too is, you know, he's always about, you know, get your house in order. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here you have it's his good, daughter. It's good advice. And it's good advice. It's, you know, it's good advice. But I mean, like, you know, here you have him suffering with some sort of addiction. And again, this was years ago. To I, I can't remember what it was, but he had to go to Russia and his daughter's husband at the time brought him there and they all traveled together apparently with the kid. And then she took off for several days to go visit Andrew Tate in Romania while she's still married, left the kid behind while her father's in Fucking injury. Slut. Fucking slut. To, to talk business. Yeah, sure. You guys right. read between the lines. And, you know, you, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. I, I really want to talk business with like lots of online hobbies, <clears> you know. I'll, I'll give them my business card and a few other things, I suppose. No, the, the woman yeah. is a slut and, and manipulated her father. I mean, the guy simps for his own daughter. That's creepy, you know. But um, look, I, I mean, how can I put it? I respect him because he's extremely successful with his book and, and the way he's, he's of course, yeah. uh, earned a not. great deal of money off of his videos. I mean, good on him. I don't have a problem with that, right? I respect his position of being virulently a, uh, a compelled speech. You know, I, I fully agree with that. I, I shouldn't be forced to call people as I see fit, you know. Uh, but, um, but the other stuff, you know, I, you know he... he he lost his marbles, I think, when he got that high. He didn't know how to handle it, you know? Mm. And so, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of like, you know, of two minds. There, I see a lot of benefits to the guy. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, like you said, uh, telling, telling guys to march into the slaughterhouse. I mean, one of my most popular videos was the video I did where I said, never marry a single, never date a single mother. Because there's no upside to you. You know, you're, you're going to be expending resources on some other man's kid. And the woman is just really latching on to you because you're a life raft to her, right? Financially, at least, and, and perhaps emotionally. And so don't do it, right? And uh, I don't see what... Is that going to focus I, in I there? There you go. Yeah, no, the single mothers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so... I have a chapter you know, I, on the topic, I, yeah. You and I are on the same page on that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's fucking obvious. It's, it's not that you and I came to some great insight it's just fucking common logic. I mean, just common sense. <laughs> not not for all men, though. I mean, like even even for me, at one point, I I made that same mistake too, right? But it's making those mistakes that help, helps you realize and distinguish the difference. Like you need contrast. You can't you can't relate to darkness without light, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, um, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, uh, uh, about the single mother thing. You know, yeah. he, he's he's telling people to to march into that slaughterhouse, which is just stupid, you know. And so, and look, the way things are going, the women in the West are rapidly deteriorating. They're becoming mm-hmm. just, you know, unconscionable. I mean, it, it, no, that's the wrong word. Uh, they're they're just insufferable. That's the word I was looking for. Women in the West are insufferable. And uh, they, they are just, uh, we're seeing the end effects of the complete deregulation of the sexual marketplace, 
where it becomes a free-for-all. And so who benefits? The top-tier guys. They're, they're the guys who get all the girls. And yeah. all the girls are uninterested in the guys who are actually at that level. You have these porkers, right? And they're real porkers. We're talking about chicks that are like, you know, 175 pounds, and they're only like five feet two. And they expect that's the guy. average weight of a North American woman today, by the way. It's about 175 uh, pounds, five foot two, yeah, five foot three. Yeah, you know, um, you know, they're they're they're, um, they're looking for a six foot two Chad who makes uh, you know 250 a year and uh, has got a six inch dick. What's that? The three sixes, uh, six foot six sixes. Six packs, yeah, oh, whatever the fuck, yeah. you know. They have these unrealistic expectations. And top tier guys, what do they look at them? They look at them as cum dumpsters, to be perfectly mm -hmm. vulgar about it. You know, I, I know that your audience is mostly guys, so so I don't. I, don't, uh, I, I figure it's better to say it straight. They're just cum dumpsters. Come on, you know. Like I've told the story. I was on the Fit and Fit uh, Fresh and Fitness um, podcast, Fresh and Fit. Well, Myron Show. Me. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. Myron Show. Yeah. It was great. We wound up talking for four and a half fucking hours, man. It just blew by. It was Holy just a lot of fun talking to those guys, you know. But anyway, I, I told them a story that uh, that back in the year 2000, I was driving around all of North America with my dog on my Land Rover. And I, mm -hmm. I stayed at this hostel in uh, in Fairbanks. And there was nobody else there because it was dead water it down there. a bit on my channel because I know that they that they amplify a little bit of this for like red meat. And I just want to make sure I don't run into problems with YouTube. But just yeah, carry no on with the story, but just water it down a bit. Okay. And anyway, there was this um, you know three hundred pounder there, you know, and mm -hmm. yeah, I banged her <laughs> specifically because I was thinking to myself, you know, when is another chance in my life that I'm going to be so crazy and so you know detached that I'll have the chance to like you know you know, pork some buffalo, right? And uh, it was just funny <laughs> as hell. But it was the one time, it was just for kicks, right? Um, you know, like, like you know, you, you, look, in my 30s, I was a real degenerate guy. You know, I fucked, it, I fucked everything that moved, right? And most of the time, it was just, just to check off the list, you know? Asians, Japanese, Koreans, Vietnamese, you know, uh, European chicks, Mexican chicks, everything, whatever, you know. But uh, yeah, and one of them was a porker. I also did a, a woman who was like 22 years older than me, you know. It's just, you know, that crazy. <laughs> Dear God. But the point. You must have had serious. a long list to go through to accomplish all of that. Oh, it's um, funny. I got one here in Spanish I need you to translate. Sure. Gonzalo Lira, haz una colaboración con tu profe de... RI, Relaciones Internacionales, habla de geopolítica y de Ucrania. Saludos a los dos. Um, my professor of foreign relations, I don't know who he is referring to. I'll, I'll translate the message. Gonzalo, do a collab with your uh, international relations professor and talk about geopolitics and Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine. Um, greetings to both of you. Uh, I, I don't know who he's referring to specifically as because you know, I actually don't have a, a, a foreign relations professor. It's just shit that you pick up, you know. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, look, the, the point is that you have to live life and have a good time. But you also have to understand what women do not understand is that, you know, they think that they can get the top tier guy. Uh, you know, in Fight Club, um, there's this uh, great line where uh, the Brad Pitt character, Tyler Durden, says, 
Uh, we've all been brought up to believe that we'd be rock stars and millionaires, but we won't. And, and that's a truth because, you know, we, we have been sold the idea that we can be anything, but men have to be realistic. See, I mean, look at me. Am I ever going to be a rock star? Am I going to be, you know, some guy singing on stage and they're going to throw, you know, girls are going to throw panties my way? No, it's not going to happen. You got to be realistic about who you are. But women are encouraged to be completely unrealistic, so unrealistic that they become completely detached from reality. And because of social media, that in order to sell them products reinforces this un unrealistic expectation. I don't know if you're still there, but I lost your audio and you're frozen. Mm -mm. Here, I'm going to pull him out and add him back in and see if we got him back. No, he's also frozen in the green room in the back area. Let's try it again. No. All right. Uh, he said at the start of the show, something like this may happen. Oh, here we go. He's back. I think let's try that. Oh. You're back now. Yeah. Almost where did I clip? Yeah. Where did I clip out? Uh, you cut off for about 10, 12 seconds. So just back up about 10, 12 seconds and continue. Yeah. What I, what I was saying was that in fight club, the movie, the, the Tyler Durden character says that we've all been brought up to believe that we'd be rock stars and millionaires, but we won't. Now, guys recognize this. Guys recognize that they cannot achieve everything that they want in life and that they have to reduce their expectations and understand what is realistic. Unfortunately, women, especially in the, in the last few years, most especially, they have been taught to believe that they can, uh, that they don't, that reality doesn't really affect them. And so they think that they can achieve some fantastic chat. And so they dismiss the guy that they can actually get, okay? And, 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 and that's the hard reality of it. And there's no way to dissuade them. They're basically in a cult. And what will happen, of course, and what has happened to so many is that they get older and they start realizing the limitations of their possibilities and they become extremely bitter. And they think that they have all the time in the world to have uh, babies. They have all the opportunities of the world, they think that they're going to find some millionaire rock star Chad to be their mate and who will be like a little puppy looking at them lovingly all the time. You know, they, they have these unrealistic expectations. And what has happened is that these women have become so spoiled and so detached from reality. There is no way to bring them back. And so therefore, you know, I, I, I tell the male audience and I was starting to reach this conclusion when I was winding down my Coach Redfield channel. You know, women in the West, forget about them. You will never find a relatively normal, psychologically healthy, realistic woman in the West. You won't. And the funny thing is that in Eastern Europe or in Asia, you will find plenty of those women. In, in Mexico, in, in South America, you will find plenty of those women who are realistic about the kind of guy that they can get. And they will make mm -hmm. the effort to make the guy happy. Because that's the other thing. The, the American women are so goddamn selfish. It's like, what can you do for me? Bitch, I'm actually gonna push, what can push. you do for me? <laughs> that's the question. I'm actually gonna push, I'm actually gonna push back on you a little bit on that one, Gonzalo, because you're yeah. right. It, it's 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 very, very hard here. 
but it's not impossible. I mean, I'm in an LTR. My gal's great. You know, she ticks off all those boxes that you mentioned that would be found more so in the East or in Asia, you know, for example. But you're absolutely right. I mean, like toxic feminism has polluted the minds of most Western women and they're entitled, they're bratty, they're, uh, you know, they have a overinflated sense of self-worth. Um, you're going to have to, like, I've said this for years. Like I said this, you know, before I even came across anything red pill, like whatever, 2015, 2016, I used to say, you know, you're going to have to dig through a lot of dirt to find gold. Um, I just think the amount of dirt that you're going to have to dig through in the West is considerably more than what you'll have to dig through in maybe some Eastern countries. Let's just put it that way. Probably. I mean, you're probably right. You know, I see it in uh, the way women dress. You look here in Ukraine, for instance, you know, uh, women dress nicely, femininely. They, they look after mm -hmm. their appearance. They're and in shape. In the they're not covered in tattoos. They don't have purple hair. Yeah, yeah they're attractive. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, and even the ones that you would say objectively are mid-tier, you know, five, six, maybe seven, right? They make mm -hmm. the effort. And because they make the effort, they bump up two, three points just because of the effort. Yeah, they're not like naturally beautiful or whatnot, but they make the effort. And, and that shows uh, a very different uh, uh, self-conception because the women in the West, they're all in like, you know, either hoard up for a night on the town or they're like disheveled and pathetic looking. That points to the fact that they don't have self-respect. Brad has got a question before, here for you about yeah. Russia. Um, will you evacuate before Russia captures? Go ahead. Yeah. Will Gonzalo evacuate before Russia captures the eastern half of Ukraine as he predicts? No. I want to see the invasion, man. I want to see it up close and personal. I want to see what happens. Do you have a death wish? No. I love life. I'm not afraid of death. You know. What about the I notion mean, of... Um, you know, like smoking, because I mean, you never used to smoke before in your shows. Is it just something that you've picked up recently or did you just oh, yeah, smoke yeah. off air and then, you know, bring it on air now just because it's zero flux? No, no, no. I, I wasn't smoking before this conflict. It, it's just the stress of it. See, I mean, Is you it? got like air raid sirens going off like, uh, you know, three, four, five times a day. Right. And and uh, it's annoying because usually the air raid sirens go off after the attack when, you know. Um, like I said, you know, I, I mentioned that the building next to mine had been hit by a, a Russian missile. and They hit it right on the money. They were clearly trying to hit somebody specifically because mm -hmm. it was an office building. It wasn't like, a, like any kind of infrastructure or, or any kind of machinery, right? And so, uh, yeah, of course I'm scared, you know, but um, I'm Julian. not allowing my fear to dictate my actions. I mean, see, that's mm -hmm. what women do. That's what children do. That's what, uh, frankly, animals do, like dogs or or whatever that at the sign of fear they are unable to control their emotion and they act irrationally i'm not mm -hmm. in any of those categories and frankly i don't consider myself in the category of most men because most men allow their emotions to dictate their actions as opposed to their reason mm -hmm. their logic their acquired knowledge and experience and so yeah of course i'm scared but i don't allow that to control my actions I'm not under the impression that they're that they're looking to slaughter civilians, right? I think that you no. know, for the most part, especially on the east yeah, side of Ukraine, no. it's it's mostly no. ethnic. It's Russians their brother with, people. It? It's their brother yeah. people. They they have no interest in hurting the civilians. On the contrary, okay. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, look what they're doing in Mariupol. They're rebuilding the whole fucking city that was blown to smithereens and they're rebuilding it. They've got mm -hmm. like all these new apartment complexes, the new opera, the new hospital, the new uh, kindergartens and all this shit. They're they have the army people. engineers in already fixing things? Yeah. Yeah. No, Interesting. On Telegram, you can go on lots of uh, Telegram channels and they show this shit. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, they show it because it's a propagandistic effort on the part of the Russians, certainly. Mm -hmm. But they're not showing something that isn't real. Okay, or if that's CGI, it's fucking good. It's better than anything that Marvel is putting out. You know, I mean, because uh, I'm being facetious, of course. It's real, mm. and, and they have every intention of rebuilding what what has been destroyed because of this conflict. Julian's got one here for you. Uh, he says you're wrong, Gonzalo. France France's national electric company has invested one billion into Nord Stream two, regarding my oh, NATO really? comment. I think he made an earlier comment. Okay. I, I actually right. did not know that. Uh, uh, okay, that's something that you learn every day. I, I did not know that the... Thanks very much. Who was that, by the way? Julian. Julian, thank I've you got, very much. I've got so many I live was, comments I, here. It's hard I, was, to I was wrong about that. Okay, I'll look into it more specifically because I thought it was just a joint uh, Gazprom-German uh, syndicate that had invested in it. I didn't know that the French electrical company had invested in it too. So... I'll look right. into it, and thank you very much for the correction. What do you think about um, AI and Chat GPT and like? I, I did all, it seems I did like they've long... engineered wokeism into it. it it's like they've yeah, automated yeah, yeah, but, the but, process of like feminizing yeah, but, the West, right? Yeah, that, that's not really the the big problem of AI. Uh, the big problem of AI. Um, I did a long Twitter thread about it uh, a few days ago. Uh, mm. The big problem with AI is you see um the north american industrial base uh was hollowed out because all the factories were shipped to low-wage countries you know in china in vietnam in in central america you know the clothing that used to be manufactured in the united states or in canada was shipped out to guatemala and places like that with low-wage low-wage workers, right? It was wage arbitrage, basically. And so that ate away at the lower middle classes. And those lower middle classes who no longer had a factory job in Canada or the United States, they um, became working poor and became dependent on the state for state handouts in order to survive, right? And so the middle class shrank because of globalization from the bottom. But AI is going to shrink the middle class from the top end because you see, like everybody's talking about uh, chat uh, GTP or GPT or however it is. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, the woke stuff that's baked into it, that's very amusing. And that Dan, you know, uh, do anything now, the, that was a very amusing workaround. But that's not mm -hmm. what's really important. What's really important is that, see, um, you're a Yale Law School graduate right? And you graduate with your Yale law degree, which is very prestigious, and you can expect to be earning two, three, four hundred dollars an hour at a major law firm writing, you know, depositions, you know, writing, you know, different memorandums and what have you. But with AI, a law firm doesn't need that high skilled worker because the, the AI will write the legal brief. Okay, that, that's what the AI is proving. That's what chat GPT is proving, right? 
-hmm. And so what happens is that, see, the high-skilled worker, he's going to start losing his job because you're, you're not talking about just lawyers, but you're also talking about architects, industrial designers, you know, those kinds of very high-skilled workers who are, who have taken the safe path of getting a degree and a graduate degree and the right credential to carry out specific tasks that now the AI can do and do just as well, if not better, and certainly cheaper. And so instead of paying that Yale Law School grad $300 an hour to spend two hours writing some legal brief, you can spend, you know, 20 bucks, you know, uh, on some AI that will give you the same brief in, you know, instantly. And this affects- Do you see any issues with the engineered wokeism that's in AI though? Because if you ask a AI, a AI bot right now to write a poem that would celebrate Donald Trump, it would, it would essentially refuse to do that. But if you also asked it to write a poem yeah. that would celebrate Joe Biden, it would, it would happily, you know, provide you something. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is, is a, gets people's gears grinding, but that's not really the important effect of AI. It's what I mentioned mm -hmm. before. It hurts the high-end middle-class worker, the corporate worker, the guy who's in a consulting firm, the guy who's a researcher. It affects them, okay? Mm -hmm. And it will make those people idle, and it will make them fall into the working poor stratum of the middle class. So basically, you have a middle class that is shrinking from both ends because the factory jobs are gone, and so they fall into, into the working poor. And the high-end jobs are also going down because of AI, and those workers fall into the working poor. And so in the end, I, I wrote in this Twitter thread, you're going to have a situation of Eloys and Morlocks. You're going to have the, the top tier that are going to be rich, however they earned it. Maybe they inherited it. Maybe they got lucky, and you know, with with with, with uh, 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 non fungible tokens or however they got money. They are mm -hmm. going to be living high on the hog, hedonistic, happy. But the big strata of the middle class will shrink from both ends. It has shrunk from the bottom, and now it will shrink from the top. And when you lose the middle class, your nation as a whole becomes a lot poorer, okay? And so the North American continent with more AI, those high-skilled workers are going to fall into the ranks of the working poor. And so, of course, they will contribute far less in terms of taxes. So you're going to have a much bigger working poor group here at the bottom that will have to be supported by a shrinking middle class and these hedonists at the very top, you see? And is this where um, universal this. basic income sort of takes over? Yeah, but the thing is, you know, universal or... basic income, I think, is really despicable because it robs people, especially men, for a reason to exist. Mm -hmm. uh, because, like, you know, I... I but isn't that the state's point... goal, though, to pussify men and to soften men in society and to remove masculinity well, and to normalize all of that? You could argue that it, I, I'm not so sure if it's a conscious decision. It is a convenient decision, a convenient is, approach. Yeah. But the thing is, see, when you have um, all these people who are, uh, you know, getting a UBI, universal basic income, right? You make a class of people who can potentially explode because it is a recipe for social chaos. 
because I, I don't know about you, but I've spent a couple of times in my life where I have been idle in, in the following sense, in the sense of, you know, I didn't have anything to do and I had money. Hello, are you still there? I'm here, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the, the periods of idleness where you can afford a, 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 a standard of living, of existence, but you have no real reason for anything. People in such circumstances fall into depression and a, a very deep depression. And of course, they can take pills for the depression, maybe. That just, it doesn't really fix the situation. It just like ameliorates the symptoms. But it could be also that it brings about enormous resentment in a huge swath of people who expected to have a decent life and a decent work and something to give them meaning in their lives. And when you deprive them of that, they become resentful and eventually enraged and they break out the pitchforks. And so, you know, I, I don't think it's a, it's a good thing, AI. Uh, I think it's pernicious and we're going to have to see the effects of it. Now, specifically what you're talking about, the, the, woke, the wokeism programmed into the AI, I think a lot of people are going to figure out workarounds for that. I mean, you already figured, uh, people have already figured it out. I and mean, this, um, this chat G, GPT has only been around briefly and already they figured out a workaround that gives you the honest information. Uh, so I don't think it's really that big of a deal. It, it's sexy. Okay. It calls attention to itself. But mm. the more they try to make the AI lie, because that's what you're basically doing, the easier it will be to overcome that by way of creating different systems and workarounds to get to the actual facts. So I think it's going to play against them, you know. Uh, but the problem is, of course, that it's sort of like a whack-a-mole problem for the creators of the AI. They, they'll see one conclusion that the AI, of the AI that the programmers don't like because it goes against wokeism and they'll try to hammer that down but then another little mole rat will pop out and they'll have to hit that one too and it'll be just a game mm. of whack-a-mole and and the whole system will deteriorate because of these uh, uh this woke uh, um that is be this wokeness that is being injected into the AI I I don't mm. think that it is I think that they'll realize it's a mistake ultimately, but it'll, it'll collapse, you know, and that's when they'll realize, oh, this is not a good idea. But then the problem is that the AI comes to conclusions that guys like you and I know all about, but which flies in the face of this wokeism. See, this wokeism stuff generally, you know, it, 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 is, it, is, um, it is leading to a revolution in North America, certainly, and potentially in, in Europe as well. Because people know fundamentally that it's all just a lie. And the wokeism is the secret sauce that will lead to some sort of severe break or revolution. And I think that what will happen is that the people in positions of leadership will resort to widespread and vicious repression as opposed to giving up on this woke bullshit because they have too many chips riding on it. And so I, what I personally expect is to see a lot more repression going on in the West, and we're already seeing it. With, like, for instance, the Nord Stream pipeline that I mentioned, Cy Hirsch, Seymour Hirsch, who is this big-time journalist, you know, I checked. CNN, the BBC, the New York Times, and the Washington Post have yet to put up any article about Seymour Hirsch's report. I mean, zero, just total, you know, a total omission of this vital issue 
that other countries around the world are paying very close attention to. And so ultimately, I don't think people understand how much influence the state has over media. It's 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 propaganda. Like this is like Herman Goebel pro propaganda. Like this is yeah. fully controlled. In, yeah. in in Canada, it's widely acknowledged that Justin Trudeau controls the CBC, right? Like yeah. CSIS released a report about the influence in the last federal election where China uh, did assist Trudeau in getting elected, and he didn't get pissed, you know. Um, I mean, he got pissed because the information got out and he tried to shut it all down. And that's something that yep. the opposition leadership is really trying to deal with. Um, I want to move over to this um, question here from Chris. Uh, what are the best places in Latin America now? I'm assuming for guys like there's a there's a there's a contingent of like passport bros out there that that, that want to move to another country to find a better life, better, better women, better lifestyle sort of thing. Like, what do you think about that notion? And, you know, the, I would say the, the, the two the best countries in Latin America. Yeah, the two best countries to go to in Latin America are probably uh, Uruguay and Paraguay because they're poor. Uruguay okay. is basically the, the Switzerland of Latin America, was it? Or is it... Well, it, 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 it pretends to be so. But uh, okay. Ur yeah, Uruguay and, and Paraguay, um, because especially Paraguay, Paraguay is poor. And so the food that you get is going to be organic. It's going to be clean. You know, and the, the people are fairly simple and straightforward and realistic about shit. And uh, your dollar is going to go a hell of a lot farther in Paraguay than in California or New York. Yeah. The other place, too, that's that's appearing to be very good is El Salvador. They've wiped out all the gangs in El Salvador. And so now the country is extremely peaceful, um, very law abiding. OK, uh, but uh, yeah, you want to go to a country that is uh, a little bit poor. Because nobody's going to fuck with a, a poor country like Paraguay. And, uh, you know, you can pick up Spanish. If you've got some cash, you can set yourself up very nicely and, and potentially have some sort of business there or some online venture that, you know, you become geographically independent. Um, yeah, I, I would say that a country like that, don't go to... I'm actually surprised that you mentioned El Salvador because the, because the president there has embraced Bitcoin. Well, yeah, but the thing is, I'm not I'm not uh, advocating El Salvador because of uh, them embracing Bitcoin. I'm, I'm advocating them because they've straightened up the country insofar as security is concerned. OK, it's a mm -hmm. lot more stable. It's just, uh, you know, overall a better place to be. But like like I said, what you want to do is go to places that are relatively poor. Because a place that's relatively poor, uh, this safe. this woke bullshit can only flower in a rich society or a, a society that thinks of itself as rich, that might not be necessarily rich, because the United States is no longer rich. It's over-indebted. It, it's like a, like a trust fund baby that <coughs> is so over-indebted and maxed out on all his credit cards, but still thinks that he's mm -hmm. a trust fund baby millionaire, you know? Um, C. Dumbledore says, no, Gonzalo, not true. ChatGBT is currently being taught how to be optimally deceptive by its 100 million users. I'm an AI designer. I, I don't know. I, I don't care. You know, I mean, I, I look at it from a macro perspective and so far as the labor force. Are you still there, mm -hmm. by the way? I'm here, yeah. Yeah. Can you I hear mean, me? I, I don't care. Yeah, I, I hear you. I don't okay. really care about the specifics of uh, ChatGPT. I, I, I really don't. I care about it on a macro level insofar as the labor labor pool is concerned. But, you know, specifically, if it's doing this or doing that, I don't give a fuck. You know, that's somebody else's problem. 
I've got a bunch of these other questions over here and sure. uh, community tab on my YouTube channel. Let me find a few here. People are asking about how you're able to parent your kids being so far away. Like, um, how is he I'm keeping up his life uh, as a father? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to discuss that. Okay. Um, boundaries. There's, there's of course a question of, you know, how a man can build his legacy in life. Like, what do you think? That's always a regular question from young guys looking for guidance. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, this is how I live my life. Okay. This is the one go around as far as I'm concerned. Okay. I don't believe in reincarnation. I don't believe in heaven or hell for that matter. This is it. So you better, uh, you might as well enjoy it. And what comes after Do you have any religious dead, convictions? No, not really. Okay. You know, uh, what comes after this life, I'm not going to be around for it. Okay. So mm -hmm. I don't give a shit what level of legacy I leave behind. I think this is ridiculous. Do I want to financially look after the people that I love? Most certainly. And I've certainly made such arrangements. So that's a non-issue. But insofar as like a legacy, like, you know, like, do I want somebody to build a monument to me or some shit like that? Uh, I'm not going to be around. I'm not going to enjoy it. And eventually it'll tear down the statue of me anyway, probably for good reasons, you know? So I, I, I think well, yeah. that's ridiculous, you know, like, like some sort of legacy. No, the, the kind of thing that you should be thinking about as far as I'm concerned as an atheist, I mean, I'm born Catholic, right? Um, baptized first communion and confirmation, right? But I, uh, unfortunately I am not uh, blessed with belief. Uh, I respect people who are, and I certainly have no truck with them. I'm not one of these atheists who tries to convince people of their foolishness or something like that. Because uh, it's simply that I don't, uh, I'm not blessed with belief. And, and in many ways, I, I sort of regret that because I recognize that belief in a higher power and a higher purpose gives a great deal of comfort. And sometimes that comfort is extremely useful, especially when things are very difficult. I don't believe in that, unfortunately. And, uh, and so I think that if this is it, if this is the only life you live, then you should live it fully. You should experience all that life has to offer, the good and the bad, by the way. The notion of always trying to be happy, I think is absurd because you can't. Mm -hmm. Happiness, first of all, is, is, is something that comes to you when you achieve certain things or certain ambitions, but many times it comes at you by surprise. You know, you never expected it, okay? And, and that many times is the best kind of happiness when it catches you unawares. But you can't be looking for happiness. That, that's absurd. It, it's like saying that you want to be high all the time. That's it, crazy. It's self-destructive, ultimately. Mm. What you have to be doing is saying to yourself, what do I want? What, what, do I want to, what do I want to feel and experience in life? I mean, I don't have a problem saying this, and I, people might think that I'm an asshole or whatever, but um, I could have been like, um, you know, multi-millionaire, billionaire type guy. After college, uh, I went to Dartmouth, and I was recruited for Goldman Sachs. And if I'd taken that route and been the good little investment banker, which is my family comes from banking, so I know what I'm talking about, you know, I could have, mm -hmm. you know, wound up you know, with a hundred million, 400, $500 million, but having a miserable life and not having experienced the things that I've experienced. So the issue becomes, you know, what do you want from life? Do you want to have like, you know, a bunch of zeros in your bank account, but having led a very narrow and, and rather stunted life? 
or do you want to experience everything that life has to offer and perhaps forego you know the, the huge money but have a much richer life because i can assure you uh because i know these guys when i talk to investment bankers who are far wealthier than i am guys i know guys i grew up with in some in some cases you know they always look at me with envy you know because they always say well you know i was working as opposed to doing the shit that I've done in my life. And so, you know, what would you do differently in your life if anything at all? Nothing. I'm not I'm not talking about from the perspective of having any kind of regrets, but is there anything that that you would have done differently at any point in your life? Yeah, well, one specific thing. Uh and I mentioned this before. Uh when I was in high school, there was this uh this uh girl called Macarena, like the song, right? And uh, exactly. And she was um, she was in my class, but not in my my class, but one of the parallel classes, right? In mm -hmm. in my high school in Chile. And um, you know, like after I think it was uh, <laughs> after eleventh grade, she she had been dumpy, and and you know nobody had paid attention to her. But over the summer of our senior year, she just suddenly flowered. She was gorgeous. She was tall, like really thick, curly, like. Uh, uh, brown hair, almost like an afro, but it was just these natural mm. big curls, right? And she she just looked, she had an incredible figure and she had the bluest eyes. I mean, they were like a summer sky. I mean, just so beautiful, right? And every day I saw her between classes, right? And, and I spied on her. You could say that I almost stalked her, right? Because I was just totally infatuated. And I never talked to her, not once, okay? And then the senior year was over and, you know, I, I went my way, she went hers and I didn't see her. Okay. And the regret, you know, because I never talked to her. I never tried to take her out on a date. And what happened was that years later, we were at our 20th reunion and I talked to her and I, I, we had a lovely conversation. She had lived her life and I had lived mine. We were at different places. And so it wasn't going to happen. Hello, am I still there? You're still here, yeah. Okay. Well, and uh, what happened was that, you know, you know, later, I found out through mutual friends that she had liked me in high school. Mm. She had thought I was cute, but <laughs> I, I didn't do anything about it. And that's my one big regret. And actually, I'm very thankful for that regret. There isn't a week that goes by that I don't think about her. And whenever really? I'm nervous about... Absolutely. Interesting. And whenever I'm nervous about something or thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this, I, I think about the burning regret that I have over not having spoken to her that whole fucking year. All I had to mm. do was just sidle up to her and just, you know, just say a few things, maybe try to get her laugh uh, and, you know, yeah. just anything. And I just guys are always paralyzed by fear and by women and approaching women. It's just a natural thing, man. It's like, you know, I'll tell you a funny story because I was out for my brother's um, stag. This was a few years ago. Um, well, you know, before COVID and his best friend came up for the stag and he was telling me how his sister had such an enormous crush on me in high school. And I thought she was completely out of reach. <laughs> Similar story, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Exactly. I thought that she'd go out with some cooler guy, some college age guy or something like that. She didn't date anybody. That was a funny thing. I, I could have just waltzed up to her, started uh, talking to her, 
And who knows, maybe we would have lasted a couple of weeks and, and I would have thought, oh, she's boring and this and that, and I would have forgotten her. Or maybe she would have it's been the love of my life. I think everybody's got yeah. one. But the thing is, see, that, that story, um, like I said, there isn't a week that goes by that I don't think about her. And the regret, the bitterness of that regret that still weighs on me. I mean, we're talking, this was a 36, 37 years ago, mm -hmm. 38 years ago now that I think about it. And I still think about it, okay? It, and it, it fills me with just bitterness and regret, which is a mm -hmm. great thing. Because whenever other opportunities have come my way, other ambitions that I might have had, I've always said, yes, yes, I'm gonna go for it. Because failure hurts far less than regret of not having tried. Mm. That's, that's the thing I've, I've learned. Um. You're such a good storyteller, Gonzalo, and I think that's one of the things that that, that blew up your Coach Red Pill channel. Um, the video production was great. It was it was simplified, multiple camera angles. Um, you know the way that it, that it, that it transitioned from scenes. Like I know that you've got some filmmaking experience. Do you have any advice for guys when it comes to telling stories about important issues or matters in life? Like what do you like? What's your advice there? Practice, practice. I got. How did I you got get good, good at it? Uh, public speaking because um, when I was in Chile, I went to college twice. As a matter of fact, I got really great scores in the entrance exams, right? But I was a little. When I um, went to university, um, just as the year started, I turned uh, eighteen. In the first time I went to university. And what happened was that I discovered how to get girls because I'd been a disaster at getting girls. I was just horrible at it, right? Mm. And I remember the, the moment very clearly. It was my first week at university. Uh, this was uh, March of 85. Do recall this was in Chile where the seasons are reversed, right? The summer is, you know, December, January, February, and school starts in March, March through December. And I just turned 18 and, um, it was the first year of uh, college, and they were doing all these like little parties for the first years to get to know one another, that kind of shit. And I found myself talking to the two hottest girls in my um, university class. And I was like nervous. I didn't know what the hell to do because of the story with Macarena that I mentioned, right? Mm. And um, I, I, I said something that made them laugh, okay? Not at me, but just like it was a, like a joke or a witticism or something. And then I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I remember very clearly the gears in my head clicking at that moment, okay? And I remember the scene very, very clearly. We were actually outside of the university, sitting on the curb, the three of us talking. And I said something funny and they like turned to me with more attention and like, like, like welcoming attention. And then I, my gears were turning and I, I said something else, I forgot what it was, of course, that made them laugh even more. And then all of a sudden I discovered, yeah, I'm four eyes, not that attractive, right? But I can make them laugh, you know, and not laugh at me, of course. That's the key issue. And mm. sometimes, and then I started like testing different things, like teasing them a little bit, you know, not, not harshly, just little, little things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, oh, if I make them feel a strong, positive emotion, they start to identify me as the purveyor of this strong, positive emotion. So I'm basically 
an emotional dealer. I deal in emotions. You know, the guy down the street, that scuzzy guy, he, he deals in drugs and pot and shit. I deal in positive emotions and sometimes negative emotions because negative emotions kind of like accentuate the positive emotions, right? And, mm. and that's how I figured it out. And, and that's and what happened, of course, I flunked out of university twice in Chile because I just chased girls because all of a sudden I discovered this, this skeleton key to get any girl, just make her laugh, you know, and, and tease her a little bit and, and sometimes just sort of like ignore her a little so she starts like chasing after me. And it worked like a charm, okay? And so I basically chased pussy for like two years. And that's why I flunked out of two universities, you know? And, um, and what happened was that at this point, my, um, I was living with my mother. My parents had divorced. And my mother said, look, if you're not going to be studying. You're going to be working and, and getting out of the house, okay? You can't be a bum. Mm -hmm. So I started um, teaching English as a foreign language. Are we still on, by the way? We're still on. Yeah, you're good. Okay, um, Loud and clear. I started teaching English as a second language. And uh, mm -hmm. I worked at that for about three and a half years before going to Dartmouth. And that was an eye-opening experience for different reasons. But what was interesting was that um, I would have these classes of adult students. There were between six and 12 students per class. And I would have like three in the very early morning, you know, sort of like from 6.30, 7 a.m. until like nine o'clock or something like that. And then in the afternoons, you know, where of course, you know, these were office workers who wanted to improve their English because it would help their careers. So they were very serious. And so they come early in the morning before work or late in the afternoon after work. And I'd have these classes mm -hmm. and in the middle of the day, I could do whatever I wanted. That's when I started writing. But the point is, um, these classes, they taught me how to do public speaking. Uh, just by, by virtue of doing it. They taught me organization. They taught me how to manage people, how to uh, deal with people and correct them in a way that was not insulting or that was not denigrating. And, you know, just, just being very, you know, like, no, 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 that, that's not how you say this particular verb. You say it this other way, stuff like that. And um, that's how I got good at it. Okay. And uh, I, I personally think that was one of the best educations I ever had. Certainly, certainly more valuable. Those three and a half years that I spent teaching English as a foreign language in Chile were much more valuable and um, educational than anything I learned at Dartmouth. And Dartmouth is a big mm. Ivy League school, but I know wherever I speak. You know, that, that kind of experience of, for three and a half years of dealing with these adult people. Keep in mind, at the time, I was 19, 20 years old. Okay. And I'm dealing mm. with people who are in their 30s and 40s and who are very, very serious. I mean, they're not fucking around. They're not wasting their time when they've got their family or, or, or their, their life outside this. They're serious. And so it taught me a lot in that regard. And insofar as you know, being good at public speaking, that's where I learned it. And, and being able to explain things in a way that makes sense to people. Um. I'm starting to lose my voice, so I might only have another 10 or 15 minutes left here. Um, I wanted to ask you also, um, one of the other questions that popped up was about, you know, the manosphere slash, uh, you know, the mano swamp. Um, you know, you kind of came and went quietly. You didn't really, you know, collaborate with a lot of people. You put out some great content, I think, that was that was very helpful. I enjoyed a lot of it, and it was just short, concise, you know, like to the point. Um, what is your take on the mano swamp today? You know, because like one of the first videos, like I remember one of the first videos that you did was um, 
you kind of broke down like all the different niches like this is MGTOW, this is black pill this is the puas this is you know like red pill sort yeah. of thing so what's your take on what you saw and what's going on with it right now like where it's heading like what do you think of it well i think a lot of women are involved in it now which is very surprising that's interesting too. isn't it yeah there's that uh, pearly things woman whom mm. uh you know if she were a guy she'd be just part of the manosphere um there, there is some other psychologists i think that a lot of um yeah, a, a lot of people have latched onto it because they recognize that there's a market there okay and i think that uh, a lot of these women and no offense to them uh but i think a lot of them have latched onto it because they have a, a strong audience and the fact that they're female automatically raises their profile you know i mean mm -hmm. like you know if you and i did some TikTok video of us dancing nobody would watch it or they might watch it to laugh but you know some right. hot 20 something girl does the same little dancing video on TikTok, and she gets a million hits right right uh the sex appeal plays a lot and so a lot of these women you know take advantage of it good on them you know they you know use whatever tools you've got um but i think a lot of women are involved in this um uh, and I think what do you think of the women in the space? Like, do they deserve the attention of guys dealing with men's issues or should they just let the guys handle it? Well, it, the, the women who are involved in this sphere, if they're sincere, I don't have a problem with it. If they're getting into it just as a grift, then I, I would have an issue with it, I suppose. Do you think that but they're sincere? Because I mean, like my take on it is if you really cared about men, men's issues and you're really sincere, you, you know, get off, like, you know, turn off the camera, stop you know, stop the whole TradCon Act and let's see you rally a thousand girls together, go march on par Parliament Hill to change the legislation and laws that are hostile towards fathers and family law. Like, let's see something like that because they don't listen to men when men talk. Um, I don't know about that. What I do um, think is that there, these women who are in the menosphere are not trying to get their message to other women. You know, no, they're, they're, no, they're, they're aiming talking to men. Okay. Yeah, you look at the comments. And so the, the fact that they're not going out to women and, and, and explaining things to women in a way that women can understand uh, sort of like makes me a bit suspicious of a lot of that, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. But I mean, women don't really want to hear these conversations. No. They only seem to listen to you when they're well past their expiry date, when they've realized that they've made some mistakes, like a 20 year old or a 20 something, they just don't care. They get unlimited attention. They, they can screw up in life. They're always forgiven. Right. Whereas yeah. men must become, they must make something out of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I think you've said it, um, uh, you know, or somebody said it, or it, it, it's something, it's a trope that all of us have probably said in this, in this, uh, corner of the internet. See, um, women are an extra, they are a luxury. They are not the, the prime focus of any man's life, though they shouldn't be. A man who's focused exclusively on women is making a horrible mistake, and they should be focused on their own shit. And, uh, you know, they find some woman along the way, and, and she wants to hitch her wagon to him, fine. But uh, he should always remember that, it, that it's, it's for his goals, and she's just extra. She's just baggage. She is just a luxury. And like all luxuries... If you can't afford the luxury, ditch it because it'll only bring you down. Yeah, I agree. Got to be able to walk away from shit. Yeah. Um, Th that's something else that, that, I, that, that I, I find kind of troubling is that so many guys 
they, they think that they find some woman and they put all of their hopes and aspirations on the woman and they think that the woman is going to be their, their, their everything, their best friend, their lover, their, their nursemaid, their cleaning lady, everything, okay? And this is a huge mistake because it's too much of a burden, quite frankly, for any one person to be your lover and your best friend that you tell all your secrets to, basically your psychiatrist and lover at the same time. No, it's, it's too much of a weight. What you should uh, do insofar as women are concerned, and this is my experience and this is what I think, and take it for what you will, is that um, a woman is not your best friend. She will never be your best friend. And when you start showing vulnerability to her and, and, and start talking about the problems you're having, she will think less of you. That's a fact. She will lose yeah. respect for you because women do not like a, a man who shows insecurity. They don't want that. What's great about Eastern European women, or at least Russian-speaking women, they have this phrase. They always say that they want a man made of stone. They want a man who's like a stone wall that they can hide behind. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, and that's, that's a very well uh, good way to put it. They want a guy who is a guy who's a stone wall that will protect them. Okay, so no woman wants to suddenly, you know, be hiding behind the stone wall that you are supposed to be and start realizing that the wall is made of jello and you got all these feelings and, you know, I'm so worried and I'm so worried about my job and my parents hurt me when I was little and all that fucking bullshit, you know, all that, that mm. fucking pussy ass wimpy feelings shit, because that's as far as that's what I think of it, quite frankly. Do I have miseries in my life? Most certainly. Do I share them with women? No. I share them with other guys. I share them with my friends, friends whom I've known a long time. You share them with your not. brothers, of course. Yeah. I, they know that I'm not some fucking pussy. And, you know, we'll talk about whatever and just say, oh, yeah, you know, I had a, you know, my father was a fucking asshole or whatever, you know. And, and they'll get the picture. But, you know, this crying on the shoulder of your woman this is like guaranteed to, you know, it's, it, it's, 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 it, it's like, um, anti -man. It's one of the biggest turnoffs for women. They don't like pussified men, yeah. but yeah. that's what they've been telling Western men to do is, you know, be soft, uh, be a shoulder to cry on, cry on her shoulder, you know, uh, you know, share, share your emotions with her. And none of that works. It's completely counter to what women are turned on by. It's like, you know, like you said, in Russia, yeah. they say, you know, they want to, they want a man like a stone wall. You know, they want to. Yeah. They want Stonehenge, then, basically, right? Like they want something yeah, they want that's a, reliable, solid, solid, solid. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, if you want a woman, uh, especially a high value woman, sure, certainly. I also think the following. I think that having a relationship with a woman, without the ultimate aim of having children and a family of your own, is a waste of time. It's like masturbation, mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with uh, finding some woman and you say to yourself, yeah, yeah, I don't want her. I want to, I don't want to have kids with her, but she can be fun for, you know, a few weeks, a few months, maybe. But like, you should always be thinking that, um, the woman that you want to quote unquote, share your life with, you should be looking at her and saying, yeah, I want to have kids with her. Okay. If you can't answer that question right away, then she's just a pastime at best. Let's let's, yeah, let's talk about having kids. Cause let's, Let's wrap up on that note. But before we do, I just sure. wanted to um, 
touch on another Eastern European phrase that I heard a lot because I dated a lot of Eastern Europeans in my youth. And one of the things that popped up a lot is the gals would say something along the lines of like, what are you made out of butter? As if it's an in, like an insult, like you're too soft, right? Yeah, and pussy. <laughs> That's what they're basically Yeah, basically. Saying. Yeah, basically. Um, so, so let's wrap up on the notion of having kids. So what do you think is the safest and best way for Western men today to um, leave behind DNA, you know, their legacy sort of thing? Well, you have to understand, first of all, that um, you want to you want to know what you're getting into and so far as having kids are concerned. Right. Um, kids are an enormous drain on your resources. OK. Yeah, they're handful. I mean, the amount of money that goes down the tubes and so far as kids are concerned is astronomical. Okay, I mean, like, uh, you know, you don't even want to get into it. So you really want to have kids. Uh, I mean, let me phrase that. If you decide to have kids, you've got to go in with your eyes wide open and you got to pick the right fucking mother. Okay, you got to find a woman who's actually maternal. Okay, and this is my perspective in so far as the 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 man woman thing. Okay, you get together with a woman not to be happy that's pointless you get together with a woman you know long term i'm talking you know 20 years or the rest of your life or whatever because she is a partner in a common enterprise uh let me explain rich you and me we decide hey you know there's this business opportunity we can make i don't know we can make chocolates okay make a shit ton of money and you, Rich, are good at finance, and you, Gonzalo, you're good at marketing. I'm just making shit up. And so you and I go into partnership. Why? Because Rich has certain qualities and certain abilities that Gonzalo doesn't have. And Gonzalo has certain qualities and abilities that Rich doesn't have. And so together, we make more than we would individually in this joint enterprise of a chocolate factory. Okay? When you come to a woman, you have to have that notion that you're in it for a joint enterprise. And you have to define what that joint enterprise is. And with a woman, what it is, is to build a happy and loving home with children. That's the joint enterprise. That's the ultimate goal, okay? Because children will provide her with enormous satisfaction and with you with enormous satisfaction although not without costs, not just financially, the financial part is the least of it, the emotional wear and tear, the, the daily grind of raising children, because it's not easy. It's not all, you know, cinnamons and plums and shit, right? And so you have to go into a serious long-term marriage with the notion is that you're going to have kids and you're going to build together a loving home. And you have to, with the woman, define, okay, you are going to be the homemaker and I will be the breadwinner. And, and, and the names, you see exactly what it means. The woman should make the home. It's not the house. A house is not a home. A house is just a building. It's, it's that feeling of love and support and comfort, okay, with children that she should make. If she doesn't have the qualities to make such a such a home, she's the wrong person. If she's like some you know chick with tattoos, or 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 maybe not, maybe she's got no tattoos, but you know the the skimpy outfits and always look at me kind of thing. You know, she's not a she's not a homemaker. 
she's just a, a fun girlfriend that you have for a while, you know, catch and release kind of thing. She's not mm -hmm. a keeper. Okay. I mean, you, you got to understand what you're aiming for insofar as a long-term, I mean, in, in terms of marriage, let's put it that way. Marriage. What is the marriage for? To create this loving home with children so that it is a place of comfort where you as a man can come home after earning the money, i.e. bringing in the resources to support this whole enterprise, right? You come and you are welcome and you are happy and the people in your home make the effort to make you happy and comfortable, okay? If she's a nag, if she's, if it's always problems, am I still here? You're still there, yeah. Yeah, okay. If she's a nagging type of personality or she's unwilling to have children, then no, she's catch and release. She's just a passing girlfriend, okay? But understand what you're aiming for with a marriage, okay? Now, if you just want to have a good time, uh, it's totally different, man. Then you pick what, whichever one is around and who's the most fun. And you understand that it's just your turn. You know, it's she's not the keeper. Okay. Mm -hmm. But when you find a woman who has that objective, maybe she hasn't articulated it. Maybe you have to help her to articulate it. But if she has that basic idea, objective of having a loving, warm home full of children who will make you happy, especially as you grow older, then yeah, that's a woman that you should marry. But you got to keep in mind, you know, what you're looking for. And you have to understand that a marriage is not to be happy because like I said, happiness comes in bursts and often catches you unawares. What you are aiming for in a marriage is that both of you have the same objective, just as if it were a business enterprise where two people are working together. Are you still there? Or I'm here. Yeah. You look a little frozen? Okay. No, I'm here. Uh, I don't know what you think of that um, analysis. I mean, you tell no, me. No, it's look, man, you've, 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 um, I mean, fuck, I wish I had more voice left in me, but I'm, I'm pretty much cooked at this point. Like, otherwise, no I would keep going with you. Um, no, I think you've provided some sage um, advice. I know some people, obviously, um, you know, disagree with some of it. That's fine. You know, I don't like to run an echo chamber, and I like to have people on that have differing views and opinions anyway. Um, where should um, people follow you? Gonzalo, is it your YouTube? Is it your Twitter? Like, what's the best place? Yeah, my, my Twitter is kind of like the best place uh, to find me because I have in my bio a link to my channels, and um, and I also post the videos that I release there. So you can, from Twitter, you can find my YouTube channels. So yeah, that, that's the easiest. Okay, and your Twitter is again? Uh, Gonzalo Lira, nineteen sixty-eight. Boom. All right, so stay in touch with. Um, Gonzalo, he's interesting, dude. I certainly will. Um, you know, we'll probably catch up again in the future. I'm sure. Uh, take care of yourself. Appreciate you hopping on and uh, sharing some wisdom and some insight from um, from what is really a war zone, man. So, take care and be safe with that, guys. Make sure you leave a comment below and hit the like button, and uh, we'll see you soon. I got to get some rest and uh, drink some soup or something. <laughs> I need a break. Thanks, Gonzalo. My pleasure. Take care.